Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how we all face trials in this life, and we can't live this life alone. We need each other. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Good morning. Welcome. Glad to see you guys today. Um, hope your fall is off to a good start. Summer's officially over, I think, right? The, everybody's wearing the flannel shirts. It's, it's time. All the pumpkin spice lattes are coming out and all that kind of thing. Um, so good to be with you again today. We had a, a great event here last Sunday night. We did our block party right out here in the parking lot. And it was a lot of fun to get to meet some of the folks that live right around this building. And so we're hoping that more and more we can make an impact on this part of Bismarck. I know many of you live in other parts of the region, but uh, we do want to have an impact here, right in our backyard. And so it was a great event. Thanks to everybody who helped volunteer and make that happen. Um, Also wanted to let you know that we are in a a phase of rebooting and starting up some new missional communities. So earlier this summer, we decided to push pause on the normal thing that we were doing, our family dinner nights, with missional communities and focus more on an open table outreach type of thing for the summer. And we did that and we've got lots of cool stories. Maybe we'll share some of those uh, in the days to come. But we're kind of back to where we're saying, okay, let's get our MCs going again. And we had three at the beginning of the summer. We now have six. And so we've multiplied, doubled them with lots, lots of new leaders and people are stepping up. So it's really exciting and I'm praising God for that excited about this new season of ministry um, with you because I love this church and I love what God's doing through you. And so we're, I'm just very grateful and just wanted to share that with you this morning. So if you are not a part of an MC and you're like, what is an MC or I want to know more about that, uh, hit me up after the service or you, know, you can check a box on the connect card. We'll reach out to you and give you some more information, connect you if you want to be doing life together with other people. Uh, that's essentially what we are. We're, we're living out our identity, a uh, family of servant missionaries making disciples together. That's in a nutshell what an MC is. So I wanted to just let you know about that. Today we're continuing on in our series in the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians is one of those books that most Christians love to read and like to memorize verses from because it's a very positive kind of uplifting book. It's a, it's, a, it's a fun book to read because it's just very encouraging. In fact, I had a friend of mine earlier this week, a pastor, planter friend, he said, Philippians is my favorite book. And I was like, yeah, I, I think that's fairly common that people like the book of Philippians because there is a theme of joy and encouragement. There's a warm tone that the apostle Paul used as he wrote the book of Philippians that's Not quite as evident in some of the other books where he's kind of just constantly correcting all the stuff that they were doing wrong. So we're moving through the book of Philippians at a little bit slower pace, and my hope is that as we do that, we'll begin to draw out the themes and see what is God speaking to me about through what happened so many years ago. And like I said, one of those themes is joy. We've been talking about joy And I don't know about you, but I want to be a person who is known for a joyful spirit, a joyful attitude. Like, oh yeah, man, he's he's just got joy. And not like the weird joy, like, hey, I got the joy of the Lord today, brother. You know, like sometimes church people do that and it's weird and it's kind of fake and pasted on. But you know what I'm talking about, like deep, 
real, authentic joy. That's the kind of person that I want to be, and my guess is probably everybody in this room wants to be a person known as a joyful person. And it it comes from God. Ultimately, it's a fruit of the Spirit. And so we probably know some people in this life who've gone through hard things. Maybe some of you here today are going through some hard things. And Paul says that we can have joy even amidst our trials and our struggles. Now, I've witnessed people, Christians, who kind of gone two different directions. They go through a hard season of life and the wheels come off. Uh, marriages fall apart. Um, there's addiction involved. There's just, they go through a hard season and it just blows up. Maybe you know some people like that. It's very sad. Then I've also seen Christians, people who have gone through some very, very dark things in life, some very hard struggles, and come out the other side still standing. Now, they may have some scars and some wounds, but they've come through it stronger, and and God has used that and walked with them through it. And you know what the difference between those two scenarios is? It's being connected with other people. Because sometimes as Christians, we think, well, I'm going through this struggle, this crisis, I need to isolate myself. I need to push back everybody else, and I don't want anybody else to be a part of this, and so I'm going to isolate. And isolation is not good for us. God did not mean for us to be isolated as people. He created us to be in community with others. And the sooner that we realize we need each other, the better off we're going to be. We realize that we need Jesus. Many of us do. We say, okay, I need Jesus, but you also need other people. You and Jesus, he didn't mean for it to be that way. He said, you need each other. Yes, we need Jesus, but we also need you and I. See, we all face trials in this life, and we can't live this life alone. We need each other. That's the big idea. That's what we're talking about today. That's what the Apostle Paul was encouraging his readers with. And so it was the church in Philippi that he was writing to. We're going to read this text together. So if you have a Bible, you can flip to Philippians chapter 1. Otherwise, let it on the screen. I'm going to start in verse 27 and go through 30. He says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past And you know that I am still in the midst of it. So Paul starts this text out by saying, hey, you guys are citizens of heaven. That's who you are. Why in the world would Paul say this to the Philippians? Why did he need to remind them that they were citizens of heaven? And to understand it, we need to go back to the context of what he was speaking into. See, the Philippian church, they were a colony of Rome. They were under the Roman Empire. The Romans ruled over them. 
So they were actually dual citizens. They, were, they lived in Philippi. They were citizens of northern Greece, but they were also under the rule and control of the Romans. So they had all the privileges and all the, uh, they were bound by all the laws of Rome. And the Romans expected them to live a certain way. They expected them to carry on Roman culture, follow the rules. So there was a lot of pressure on the Philippians to conform to the Roman lifestyle. And the Romans worshipped lots of gods, and they actually worshipped Nero, the Emperor Nero. They worshipped him, and he loved it. He had a bit of a complex. And so they worshipped him, and this was a bit of a problem if they were considered Christians, because we know that we have one God, one king, is Jesus. So they were a colony of Rome, a, a homeland in miniature of the Roman Empire. So Philippians, standing together as citizens of heaven, took a lot of courage. They had to be brave to say, we're going we're to worship Jesus. Francis Schaeffer said, the early Christians were not persecuted because they worshipped Jesus. They were persecuted because they worshipped Jesus only. They only had one true God, and Emperor Nero didn't like that, and the Romans didn't like that. And so Paul, and I've said this before, Paul often brings a correction or an encouragement. He starts with an identity statement. He said, this is who you are. This is how you get to live. This is who you are. This is how it flows out. So in verse 27, he says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. So he says, your, your true identity, your true citizenship is in heaven. It's the kingdom of God not of Rome. So all the pressure that you feel to conform to life in the Roman lifestyle, the Roman culture, you got to push back. You got to remember we're citizens of another kingdom. So we don't live in a Roman colony, obviously. We live in the United States of America. We're in a little bit different context. We don't have an expectation to worship our leader. I think most people don't want to anyway. Um, but the same principle applies to us, right? We are citizens of heaven. That's who we are. And our citizenship, when it's internalized, brings loyalty to our home. And, and in the case of the kingdom, loyalty to Jesus, right? When we realize we're, we're citizens of heaven, there's a loyalty to Jesus. When I was a kid, um, my family lived in England, and we spent four years over there. My dad was Air Force. And the things that I remember, I was fairly young, but I have some memories. The things that I remember were a lot of rain, constant, I feel like it rained like every day, so everything was lush and green, and I know we have someone from England here, so you can tell me if I'm, I'm right or wrong on this, but, um, and I remember lots of weird words, like English words, so they didn't say, I'm going to put my suitcase in the trunk of the car, I'm going to put it in the boot, like you put it in your shoe, like what are you talking about, but they said that was a word that they used that was weird, and they would also say, um, not garbage, I have some garbage, I have some rubbish. You know, another one. Um, trying to think of what else. Oh, the, the restroom. It wasn't the restroom, it was the loo. Go to the loo, where's that? Uh, and I just found out a few weeks ago, we had Stu Streeter here from California, from NAB. And he told me that North Dakotans have a bit of a weird thing, that we say the bathroom going to go to the bathroom. And I guess that's a North Dakota thing. I had no idea. I guess we're just immersed in it. 
not in the bathroom, but in, that, in our culture. <laughs> anyway, what am I, okay, so the um, point of all this was that I, I lived in England, even as a kid, but I knew where I was from. I was from North Dakota, like this is where I was born, and this is where my family lived, my grandparents and my cousins, and I had a longing to come back here. And it's like that with us. Like we live here, but we long for eternity with Jesus. We long for the kingdom of heaven where we will one day be. The reality is though, sometimes we can be a lot more loyal to the country we live in here and now or to the life that we have here and now. And the problem with that is it clouds our perspective. We begin to see life as just here and what I'm experiencing in this struggle that I'm in, this trial that I'm in, rather than saying, no, man, I have a spiritual, spiritual heritage and I have something that's coming that's so much greater and it gives us perspective, doesn't it? See, Paul says, when you live as citizens of heaven, your lives are good news to other people. When we live with that identity and that reality, our lives become good news to other people. There's also a word that you'll hear quite a bit in this text today, and that word is together. It says it twice in verse 27. Let's look at it. Second part, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith. So Paul tells the Philippians that they are to fight together, contend for the faith, be on each other's team. And Paul told Timothy the same thing in 1 Timothy 6. He said, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. The idea is that we are to fight together for the same purpose, the same calling, the same gospel, the same message. We're on the same team. That's who we are. The problem, though, is that many in the church would rather fight against each other rather than fight alongside of each other. I'm seeing some head nods out there. You guys know this is true. I've experienced it in my life. The church likes to shoot the wounded. They like to eat their own. We turn on each other. Why do we do this? But I know some of you have been hurt by churches. You've told me those stories. I'm sure there's stories I don't know, but, but it's true that we like to turn on each other. We don't want to fight for each other. We want to fight with each other. And we should know better of where this comes from. We should see it coming, but yet we fall into it so easily. It's a trap of our enemy. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to hurt us. He wants to divide us from the inside. Because what happens? When we start fighting internally as brothers and sisters, we're no longer worried about the mission of making disciples. We're no longer worried about anything that God's actually trying to do in this world. We're just busy fighting and gossiping and, you know, someone gets mad at someone over here and they talk about it to somebody else and it's just not healthy and it, it, it takes us off the mission. And that's what Paul says. He says, standing together with one spirit, one heart, bound by the Holy Spirit, however you want to interpret that, and in one purpose. The purpose is the mission. We have the same purpose. We're not divided on that. We're not trying to, to work against each other. John 10.10, 10, this thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your friendships. He wants to take that away from you. He wants to kill the trust that you have with other people. So you begin to put up walls and you can't trust people anymore. 
And he wants to destroy the unity of a church, the very thing that unites us, our common faith in Jesus. He wants to take that away. And we should know better. It's the same play. He runs it over and over and over, and then we're surprised when it happens. See, the church has to learn how to fight side by side for each other, not against each other. See, I love watching football. It's, it's football season, if you didn't notice. Um, and I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. Any other Minnesota Vikings fans here? Okay, we're going to meet in the back for some group therapy after the service. Oh, and two, like, come on, stop it with the turnovers. Um, but anyway, I love watching football. One of the things I love about football is that it's a complex game. There are a lot of things happening. You got the head coach and you got the coordinator, defense, offensive, special teams coordinator. You got um, the guys up in the booth with the binoculars. I'm not sure what they're doing, but they're calling down and telling them stuff. And then you've got, you know, the quarterback and the linemen and the skill players and everybody. It's very complex. There's a lot of pieces that move around. And the thing is, when a, when a team is working together, and it's clicking, man, that offense is flying and your team is winning, it's great. But then you see sometimes when a team is not doing well, on the sidelines, a guy's slamming his helmet down and he's over there yelling at the quarterback and the coach is in somebody's face and you can just see it. That team is not working together. There's something wrong. But when a team is working together, everything clicks, everything works And the church is like that football team a little bit, that we need to partner with each other. It only works when we all work together. Because in a football team, no one player can carry the whole team. I don't care how good your quarterback is. He still needs linemen to protect him. Still needs a wide receiver to catch the ball or a running back to hand it off to. We need each other. The mission does not move forward without us partnering and running the play that Jesus gave us. He said, make disciples. That's the play. Run it, church. Do it. And stop fighting. Stop throwing your helmets at each other. It doesn't mean that we don't have disagreements in the church. It doesn't mean that we always have to say yes to everything. But it means that we learn how to resolve our differences. We learn how to be for each other. On each other's team, not on each other's backs. There's a difference. See, at the heart of disunity or division in a church is usually a broken relationship. I think more often than not, it it is. So I want to pause for discussion. And the first question I want to ask is, do you think that's true? And why? At the heart of disunity or division in the church is usually a broken relationship. What do you guys think? True, false? False. Yes, why? Uh, I, I don't know if it's, you know, Satan whispering in my ear or my own thing sometimes, but I get this thing in my head where I, I get something against somebody, but then when I actually meet with them and have fellowship with them, it fades away and I realize I'm on this person's team and not against them. Yeah, so when you're apart, maybe it's easier to be angry or, or hold a grudge or have something wrong, but then you get in face-to-face and it's like, whoa, wait, wait a minute, what was that? What else? Let's go on to the next question. Why is it easy for us to turn on each other in the church? Why is that so easy? Because 
because we're human and sinful. You know, we get this thing called the flesh that's working against us. Yeah. And maybe we've been hurt in the past, and maybe we project that hurt onto other people, even though it's not really warranted. What's the third question? What would happen if the church committed to living in unity together? We just committed. We say, you know what? I'm going to be for these people. I'm going to believe the best about them. I'm going to assume positive intentions. Unless I hear otherwise, what would happen? What kind of church would that be? Peaceful? Yeah. The most amazing church we've ever had. Yeah. Why would it be amazing? It's never experienced. It doesn't exist, no. Um, yeah, and maybe it's a bit of an ideal, but, you know, because we are fallen people, but I think it's something we can work towards, something we can pursue together. I think that's, and obviously until after this life, it's probably never going to be perfect, but hey, I want to be a part of a church like that. It's committed to one another and living in unity, working their stuff out. Paul says in verse 29, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. So in other words, we are here to struggle together. Now I know that the Philippians had a certain context to their struggling. They were being oppressed by a government. The apostle Paul had a certain context to his suffering. He was in chains. He was on house arrest, chained to a guard. A little different than our situation today. But I think that the principle applies. We are going to all struggle with things in this life. Am I losing my mic? We're going to all struggle with things in this life. And, and we may not be in prison, but we're all going to face things, aren't we? We're going to go through hardships. And we may have different enemies. It may not be the Roman guards coming after us, but we have people in our lives who attack us. We have a spiritual enemy, Satan, who's trying to unwind us constantly. And Paul says, don't be intimidated by your enemies. Live unified in spirit and in purpose. So we read that verse and it says that we've been given the privilege of trusting in Christ. And we're like, yeah, cool. We're, we're in Christ. We're part of the royal family. We're, Jesus is our brother and we're in. Like, it's awesome. We're, we've trusted in Christ. It's a privilege. Yeah. Then you read the other part of that verse. It says, you've been given the privilege of suffering. And we're like, no. I don't want to suffer for Jesus. Anybody want to suffer for Jesus? Not seeing a lot of hands. Because we don't like to suffer. And most of us don't have a theology of suffering. But the reality is it's part of our life. It's part of our existence. And when we understand that suffering is normal for us in this life, it's not as much of a surprise anymore. Because it's somewhat normal. We identify with Jesus when we suffer as he did. Jesus was referred to as the suffering servant. Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Jesus was a suffering servant. He suffered. He says, you're going to as well. But most of us don't really 
see suffering through, through the right lens. We say, well, uh, that person's suffering over there, they must have really messed up and made God mad because they're going through all these hard things. They probably had it coming. I mean, did you see what she did? No. And, we, and we think that, oh, they deserve it. That person had it coming. Well, then on the other side, we see somebody suffering. We're like, wow, what a saint. They persevere through that trial and God's just given them. And so we either kind of paint it as this spiritually elite person or somebody who's being absolutely punished for their behavior. And Paul says, you have the privilege of suffering. It's for everybody. We all will suffer at some point in our life. So don't be surprised. Also doesn't mean we have to like be weird and excited about it. But it's normal. It's, it's for everyone. It's a part of our existence. I want to give you a few more verses that may help, help us with the theology of suffering. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what we're experiencing now may be hard, but we have rewards in heaven. We have an eternity with Jesus that's going to be so much greater. It gives us perspective. Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. James 1, 2, and 3, dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. That's kind of different. Consider your struggles an opportunity for great joy. Yeah, that's what he says. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So when we have a theology of suffering, we realize it's going to happen. And we're all going to face some things in this life. I had a friend of mine, he once said that you're either um, in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're about to go into a trial. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, pessimistic here, but it's true, isn't it? We're all going to go through some stuff in this life. I'm just glad that God doesn't abandon us in our trials. Some of you have been abandoned by others in the church when you go through something hard. They don't want to deal with it, or maybe we've isolated ourselves. I'm glad that God does not abandon us. So we are called to face our struggles of this life together, not alone. So a couple more questions for discussion. Can you think of a trial or hardship that you saw a church go through, unite, and go through together? Anybody have a story or an example of something where a church, a beautiful picture where a church actually united and went through a struggle together? Everybody's getting shy. I'm angry and I Yeah, she said she had an injury and she wasn't able to take care of all of her needs getting to therapy and these women from her Bible study surrounded her, brought meals, brought her to therapy and and gave her the, the help and support that she needed. Isn't that cool when people 
share suffering together? Do you realize that when we pray for somebody who's going through a trial, we say, Lord, help them in that, that yes, God will meet them like in the word or in prayer or just in their heart, but often he mobilizes people like those women that were in that Bible study. They're an answer to prayer. God will mobilize them, say, pick up the phone, give them a call, send them a text. God uses people to encourage us, doesn't he? Anybody else have an example? Hardship that you saw a church go through together? Yeah, so really a whole town or, or the church for sure came around this family. They had a boy who, mus- muscular dystrophy, is that what you said? Yeah, it, it's a beautiful picture. And it's a picture of the gospel. I kind of gave away that next question, but how does seeing Christians suffer together communicate the gospel to others? When we bear one another's burdens, when we are united in our suffering, in our trials, how does that communicate the gospel to the world around us? Test your gospel fluency a little bit here. It shows our love. Like, love I was talking to Sherelle yesterday, and, and she's like, I can't believe that you guys love me. And like Sherelle, we chose, we've chosen to love you. You're, made, you're driving me crazy. I want to strangle you sometimes. But I, but we've chosen to love you because mm. love is an that's a commitment. So, yeah. Like, suffering together, like we're we're in the midst of suffering with Sherelle through this addiction stuff, and um, it, it's a choice that we have made, and that choice is what the love ultimately Yeah. So I don't know if you could hear that, but he said they're they're helping a woman who's in, caught up in addiction, and they've made a choice to love her, to not leave, to be there. And isn't that a picture of the gospel that God says, I'm never going to check out on you? No matter how jacked up your life gets, no matter how many bad decisions you make, I'm always going to be there. And I'm always ready to do whatever it takes, right? Yeah, it's a picture of the gospel. But when we isolate and we say, no, I don't need you or, you know, I don't want to deal with your stuff, that's not a picture of the gospel. That doesn't reflect the heart of God at all. So maybe you're here today and you're struggling in life and you're going through some stuff and you're not really sure if you want to let people in or not. You're you're saying, well, I got this situation and it's kind of my fault and so maybe you've got some shame and you want to isolate yourself and you say, I I just don't want people to know what I'm dealing with. That's shame. You're not going to do well with that. Or maybe you're like, I'm tough enough. I'm good enough on my own. And that's really pride, isn't it? To say, I don't need other people. Just me and Jesus, I'm good. And in fact, this is pretty common in North Dakota culture. I don't know if you realize this. I grew up on a farm. My dad's Norwegian. Like, 
Scandinavian background. We're tough. We just deal with it. You stuff it down. You push through. You overcome. And that's what, they're, that's what they had to do when they were setting up these farmsteads, coming over from Norway and you know, plowing the fields and breaking ground. They just had to be tough. I mean, living in a sod house, come on. Uh, but that's so much of our North Dakota culture has been shaped by those types of uh, ruggedly independent mindsets. And so for us to look at Scripture and say, no, we need to be united in spirit and purpose. We need to bear one another's burdens. We need to be on the same team working together for the gospel. It's, it's a little different. So if you're here today and you're struggling, know that there are people that love you and you need to be in community with somebody else. You need to take a risk and be willing to let somebody else into your life. And we remember, as Paul said, we're citizens of heaven. The struggles that we go through now are hard. There's something better coming. We have hope for the future, amen? And we need each other. We need to be united, not fighting amongst each other. We're going to be spending eternity together. Look around. These are your brothers and sisters. Get used to it. And I think that's where the joy comes from. When we begin to realize God's perspective on our life. Not our own. Not thinking that, you know, we're being punished for something or struggling because we did something wrong or that God's out to smite us. But that it's like, no, it's part of this broken world that we live in. It's part of our existence. We get to shoulder it together. And we know the one who is one day going to redeem everything and restore everything that is broken. That's the good news for us. And that's how we stand when we feel like falling. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much that you are the perfect example for us. You are the perfect picture of what our lives should be. And, And God, we know that we fall short. We know that you lived the life we could never live. You lived it perfectly. But Jesus, you've called us to be on your team, to be a part of your kingdom, a part of your great commission. And we want to do that. We know that it requires loyalty to you, allegiance to your kingdom, first and foremost in our life. Not letting other things crowd you out. And it requires working together with our brothers and sisters, being on the same team. And that includes just shouldering the stuff of life together. It gives us incredible joy. Lord, I just, I think of the people in this room and just the relationships and the things that you are doing. And God, it's beautiful. And we give you the glory for it, Lord. So let us continue to follow you, Jesus, to live out of who you say we are, to be a gospel-centered people, offer hope to everyone around us. And may we walk out of here with joy because that's who you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Josh left us with a few takeaways from today's service. We all face trials in this life, and we can't do it alone. We need each other. Citizens of Heaven Our citizenship, when internalized, brings loyalty to our home. In the case of the Kingdom of God, a loyalty to Jesus. Fighting Together Many in the church would rather fight against each other 
then fight alongside each other. Standing together with one spirit and one purpose, you are unified in the spirit and in purpose. The church has to learn to fight side by side for each other and not against each other. At the heart of disunity or division in a church is usually a broken relationship. Suffering together. We identify with Jesus when we suffer as he did. Many of us don't have a theology of suffering. We are called to face the struggles of life together, not alone. Discussion questions. Why is it so easy for us to turn on each other in the church? What would happen if the church committed to living in unity together? What kind of church would that be? Can you think of a time that there was a trial or a hardship that you saw the church unite and go through together? At the heart of disunity or division in the church is usually a broken relationship. Do you believe that statement is true? If so, why? How does seeing Christians suffer together communicate the gospel to others? Thanks again for listening, Missio family, and we'll see you next week.